Fellowship, we're so glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. My name is Ryan McCreary, uh, one of the associate pastors here at Fellowship. And we really want you to know uh, how glad we are that you are worshiping with us. And we hope that as you prepare your heart, that you know that this uh, next hour or so that we're going to be together, that we are going before God. We're going to be studying his word. We're going to continue to go through the book of Ephesians. But not only that, we also have a chance to worship him in song and in prayer. And uh, so as we give you that preview, we hope that you are ready to join us as we worship God together. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. This is a beautiful Sunday morning. If you would stand with us as we uh, begin to worship as a church body together. Death was arrested. Great song after Easter Sunday last week, right? Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning required, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. You have made me. My chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He called me, called me his friend. Well, that's when that was arrested. Rejoiced as though heaven had lost. Oh, but then Jesus arose without freedom in hell. That's when that was arrested. 
Man, I've always liked that song, but particularly singing it now. Death was arrested and my life began. And we are free through that lens that we just had last week of Easter of the empty tomb, the risen Savior. That is where our freedom comes from. Amen? Amen. Well, please have a seat. Glad to see you guys here. What a great day. If you have not checked the weather or walked outside and you somehow transported here, it's going to be a great day. 10 out of 10 on the weather scale today. So if you don't have plans to go outside, you might want to make some. In fact, I'll just go ahead and make you jealous. I have a brisket cooking at home right now. It's on a smoker. And yes, I'm a real man. I'm using real wood. It's got oak, mesquite. It is good to go. In fact, if you don't believe me, you should just come smell me because I had to do a little adjustment before I left this morning. After I'd showered, I got to go adjust the, the, the vent a little bit more, and now I smell like smoke. So, Craig, see? I knew it. I've already got bites in my bag and stuff. So anyway, if you smell smoke, the building is likely not on fire. It's probably just me. But... It could be on fire. So if you see a fire, go ahead and leave. But glad to have you guys here. We don't normally do weather and brisket updates, but just it seemed like one of those days that you might appreciate that. So, what t- it's actually dinner. It's actually dinner. And uh, I live in uh, Hillsborough. So go ahead and join me. <laughs> It'll be great. Room for everybody. All right. Well, glad to have you here. If you are a visitor, I kind of apologize for that, but still glad to have you. And we do want to make sure that we get connected. And so in the connection or in the bulletin, there's a connection card where we'd love to have you fill it out. And if you turn that in, the welcome to us, we will give you a gift. It's not brisket, but it's still a nice gift. And if you also just want to hop on your phone, you can go to our, to our app and, and log in there and give us information because we just want to make sure that you're connected. You get our emails and know what's going on here at Fellowship. So two weeks from now, we have our next Discover Life class that we want to make sure everybody knows, especially if you are newer to our church. It is a really, really good opportunity. We, we call it Discover Life because at Fellowship, we talk about the life we have in Christ where we love God and we invest in others and we follow his word and we engage the world. And so in this class, we talk about what does it mean to be here part of this body at Fellowship growing deep and reaching out. And so you see up there that it is 9 to, nine to 12, three hours. It goes quick. We've got a lot to cover. Our senior pastor, Grant Call, comes in and he gives his testimony. You hear from other pastors, other ministry leaders and elders, and it just gives you a really good overview of what we're about. And if you've been around for a while and you've never gone to that, but you want to join, you want to be a member at Fellowship, then this would also be your class to go to. So Discover Life coming up in a couple of weeks. If you would register so we would know that you are coming and we know the size of group we have, go online and register. That would be great. All right. Next Saturday, men's ministry is having a golf scramble. And I'm thinking I might need to talk to George about this because I'm thinking you know, golf, the only thing that people lie more about than golf is actually income taxes. And so do we want to put both of these together so close? We're just wrapping up, you know, tax season. And now we're going to have this golf scramble, but whatever. It's, it's a men's group. No one would lie, right? But we want to put that out there. It's next Saturday. If you would register for that so we know how many people are coming, go to the men's ministry webpage. That would be a good time. We had the normal men's breakfast yesterday, had a great group, great discussion. So this would be a fun activity, men, for next Saturday. Well, high school seniors, believe it or not, graduation is coming up for high school seniors. And so if you are a parent, probably because I doubt your student would do this. So if you're a parent of a graduating senior, we want to make sure that we get that information, that we, that we have your student, that we have all the information, that we have a, have a forum on our website to gather everything so we can put together um, a nice summary, a nice package, because it's really fun. Every, every May we do this, all the seniors come up, and it's really fun to see those who have been here, in some cases since birth, 
birth. And it's others that have just been here two or three or four years or one year. But as our seniors go, it's great to see what God's doing in their lives. Where are they going? What does their next steps look like? And so if you would fill out the information, if you have a graduating high school senior, the deadline for that is April 30th because we, there's a lot that has to go in to, to organize that. And so we wanted to put that before you if you have a graduating senior. All right, as we kind of go back towards worship, I don't know where your heart has been this week, but coming out of Easter, to me, it was so powerful, that, that question, you know, what will you do with Jesus? And then as we just opened up, you know, thinking about what he accomplished on the cross, death was arrested, but our, our life began. And just the, that loving kindness that God showed when he took him who knew no sin and made him sin on our behalf. And we're going to resume in our sermon series today back in Ephesians. But I read part of Paul's prayer again this week, still with that Easter mindset of of God's loving kindness. And I wanted to read these few verses in Ephesians 3, where Paul says this to the, the church. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. It's love that impacts our whole body. He says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that fullness stuck out to me. Oftentimes I think that we think, you know, we might have a sliver of God's favor or we might have a shadow of his loving kindness or maybe he's doing a little work in our lives, but it's the fullness of God in us because that's how much he loves us. So we want to, if you would stand, we want to sing and worship him for his love. a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us all. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us
Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. And sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again.
worship your holy name. Oh, I worship your holy name, Jesus. Lord, I worship your holy name. Good morning. I'll be reading out of Psalm 95, 1-7a. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand.
don't deserve the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. You know, I love the simplicity of that song. Praise Yahweh, hallelujah. You know, when the praises of God is on our, on our tongues, you know, the power of God revives our life. No matter what you might go through, whatever this week has been for you, remember this, remember Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And in him, we have life, stability, and great joy. So if you want to have a seat, let me just lead us in a time of prayer. Let's go before the King of Kings, Would you right now, just as you bow your heads and close your eyes, would you praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Would you thank him that he is altogether lovely, powerful, majestic? Would you praise him for the wonders of his creation? All of creation is meant to evoke in us a sense of awe and wonder. So would you praise him for his creativity? Ask God to once again revive awe of the living Lord in your life. That we would worship him in spirit and in truth, not just in our time of singing, but in these days of living. Would you thank him for his unconditional love. Would you right now just confess any sin that the Spirit of God brings to your mind? Would you thank Him for grace? Would you thank Him that you are loved with a loyal love? Nothing can separate you. Nothing. Would you now just specifically thank God for who he is and his blessings in your life and to all of us? Our Father has done these things. Would you praise him? And would you now bring your request before the living God? it is to be in his presence. And would you now just dedicate this upcoming week and ask God to work in you and through you that the glory and the goodness of God would be put on display through our lives as we just abide in Christ, rest in him, walk in his ways, needing his strength, living in his love. Thank you, God, for the privilege it is to gather with your people to worship you, for the joy it is to give to you generously and sacrificially, whether we place these offerings in the box as we came in or when we have given online. We're asking, God, that through our lives, you would be glorified. And so we're praying and asking expectantly as we open up your word that your spirit would be our teacher, shape us, mold us, and fashion us as the people of God, walking in your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, we are systematically making our way through this book and uh, having had just an amazing time at Easter, we are back at it in Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to know that you're going to spend one-third to one-half of your life working. Did you know that? don't mean to discourage or depress you, but I want you to know, like, work is a huge deal for you. It is for all of us. And, you know, our jobs take a lot of energy. They're oftentimes challenging. Some of our greatest difficulties and grievances have come through work. In fact, you might be living through one of these maelstroms right at the very moment. You know, it's... What happens is for many Christians, though, they do not actually even consider how their relationship with God has anything to do with kind of their nine-to-five behavior. This is kind of great dichotomy, a bifurcation that takes place. We're like, well, I've got spiritual. So, like, what's taking place here at Sunday morning worship? Maybe Wednesday night. You know, maybe I'll spend a little bit of time with God throughout the week, but uh, really then all the school and what I'm doing at the house and uh, my job, I want you to know, like, I don't see how that connects at all. And that's, that's actually a real shame. Because if all you think is your job is a place where, well, I can make, a, make some money, that's important, and, and it's a good thing, or something to do with my time, or, uh, you know, to use the gifts that God has given me, I want you to know that's all good, but I want you to know that God intends far more than just you showing up and slugging it out at a job. In fact, the text we're going to be looking at today in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, is going to highlight just how important work is. You remember, as we're going through the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3 highlight our identity in Christ. They tell us who we are in Jesus, how God has taken us from death and sin and darkness and actually brought us into relationship with the living God. And that changes everything about us, who we are, our identity, how we relate to one another. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 talk about how we are to live a transformed life, how our relationship with Jesus changes all of our relationships, and how we go about our lives, specifically when we come to chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, about how we go about our jobs. And as we look at this, I want you to notice that Six different times in five verses, notice how often Jesus comes up. Christ, Lord, your master. Because how we go about our work, whether we're an employee or an employer, as a Christian, why Jesus has everything to do with this. In fact, let us actually kind of begin with just starting with the Savior. Jesus, think of it, the eternal Son of God, he enters into humanity He is born of Mary and lives in a family where his adopter, his adopted father, his supposed father, Joseph, is a carpenter. And that means if you're in a Jewish family that at about age 12, as a boy, you would be apprenticed to your dad. You would learn his trade and you would start working with him. And so Jesus' public ministry, which we're very familiar with and it gets most of the attention in the Gospels, his ministry of teaching and healing and training his disciples— I want you to know that only lasted for about three years. Eighteen of those years, he was a worker. The Greek word is tekton. It means, sometimes it's translated carpenter, but it's more than just working with wood. A carpenter could work with wood, stone, metal, and he could do small projects, large projects. Think of it. Only one-sixth of Jesus' earthly life while he was here walking among us 
was dedicated to his ministry of teaching, training, healing. Most of his ministry and his life was dedicated to a career. In fact, we could consider it even like kind of like a, a small secular business, right? He was a carpenter. In fact, Mark chapter 6, verse 3, when Jesus comes back to Nazareth, having started his teaching ministry, and he comes back home, do you know what they said of him? They said, quote, Mark 6, 3, is not this the carpenter? That's how they knew Jesus. That's how they referred to him. He's the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joses, and Judas, and Simon. Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I want you to know that Jesus really can personally, intimately understand what it means to have a job. He knows what it looks like uh, to have to get bids, how to bring in the appropriate materials and all the resources that are needed for a project, how to provide for the family. It's interesting, Joseph is not referenced because Joseph has already passed away by the time Jesus begins his ministry of teaching, training, and healing. And Joseph, Jesus knew all about what it looks like to work in good weather and difficult conditions, how to get paid for a job well done, and how to be stiffed and ripped off and not paid. He understood the ups and downs of everyday work life. So much of his formative human experience came in a job just like you and I. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when you look at the teachings of Jesus, how frequently work or um, some sort of experience related to his job came into play. So Jesus gives us 32 parables. 17 of those deal with something about work. So if you remember, like, his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, you know how it ends, don't you? With a little contracting seminar, right? Two different builders building houses, right? One on the rock, digging deep, laying a foundation. The other, like, let's just get the thing up real quickly. We'll build on the sand. Two different outcomes, right? Or do you remember when Jesus talked about, hey, there is a cost to following me, the cost of discipleship? Really? You want to come after me? And then he told him a story about building a tower, right? And the guy started building a tower, but guess what? <laughs> he hadn't really thought it through and didn't plan out well, because why? He didn't have the resources, the finances to finish it off. And Jesus said, you haven't really thought this through well. That's what it looked like for that guy, the guy who's building the tower, it may look like that for you. You need to be all in and ready to go. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus spoke so much about work, even in his teaching ministry. And that's because work has always been a part of life. Ever since creation, when God creates Adam and Eve, do you know what God gives Adam to do? Work. Genesis chapter 1, first chapter in the Bible it says people are made for work. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, he said, fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 2, 15, God says, then the Lord God took man and put him into the Garden of Eden, and this is what he was to do, to cultivate it and keep it. Work has always been a part of God's divine design. And when we talk about work, work is simply effort that is exerted for a purposeful activity. It's how we make particular contributions to God's good work and God's good world. 
And so it's just effort that you and I put toward a common good, to productivity. And it's been around since the very beginning. It's part of God's divine design. But when Adam sinned, do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam sinned and rebelled against God, disregarded his word, did exactly the opposite of what he was told, I want you to know that humanity was plunged into God's justice. Everything got corrupted, especially work. And one of the most vile corruptions of work is slavery. Just even the mention of the word slavery, just like, oh, alarm and concern. And let me just tell you about what slavery, slavery looked like in the Roman Empire. It was estimated at this time of the writing of the book of Ephesians that one-third to one-half of the Roman Empire consisted of slaves. That means there's about, it's estimated about 60 million people at that time why they were in slavery. And people could become slaves for a whole host of different reasons. And let me just give them to you. You could be, if you were born of a mother who was a slave, you were a slave. Uh, you could be made a slave for a punishment for a crime that you committed. Um, people were made slaves when they were kidnapped from, kidnapped from other lands. Or Rome was always in the business of conquering new territory, and when they did, they often enslaved the people that they conquered. But sometimes, if you were an unwanted child, you could be taken as a slave. Uh, some parents actually sold their children into slavery to either pay off a debt or to secure resources that were needed for something they felt like was extremely important, or at least more important than their kid. I know that's hard to handle, but that's how it was done. And then uh, some actually became slaves voluntarily to pay off a debt. They literally sold themselves into slavery. And when you look at Roman-era slavery, it was non-racial meaning people of all different races were slaves. And uh, slavery in the Roman Empire looked like, um, you know, pretty different than you might imagine. So, for instance, oftentimes your experience as a slave had much to do with the condition of the heart of your master. Certainly there was all sorts of vile abuse that took place. But on the other hand, there was, in, within Roman slavery... Some of these slaves were treated quite well. In fact, some of them were like considered almost part of the family. They actually raised the children of whoever owned them. And Roman slaves, in some, some uh, arenas and in some situations, they were educated, if not even more educated than their masters. They had all sorts of occupations, whether as managers, even doctors. They could be involved in business teaching, household management, running whatever farms they had. And uh, the other thing that was unique about Roman slavery is that it could be expected that about age 30, you would be emancipated. And so we, I bring this to your attention because when Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starts addressing slaves, he's addressing people that like, whoa, wait, God has interest in me. And most of the slavery that you look at, like European slavery, early American slavery, uh, antebellum uh, slavery that occurred in the United States, I want you to know that is just condemned in the Bible. But I'd like to give you just some of the reasons why it would be condemned. 
First of all, human beings were not to be kidnapped and sold, Exodus 21, 16. By the way, if you did that, you were to be executed. Slaves were not to be abused. That's Exodus 21, 26 through 27. And fugitive slaves were not to be returned to their masters, Deuteronomy 23, verses 15 through 16. This whole concept of another human owning a human and abusing them, I want you to know that is vile and it's sinful. And the New Testament and the Old Testament, when they address slavery, it's not condoning it, but what it does do is it gives ethical guidance to something that has already taken place. But when this was written, I want you to know these words were radical. Because slaves and masters are treated on an equal basis as under God. And I want you to know, like, this was, like, very foreign. This is revolutionary. And it was the Bible that eventually led to the abolition of the vile practice of slavery. To understand that every person is made in the image of God. To know that every tribe, tongue, and nation is being brought into oneness in Christ and celebrated in heaven. Um, And you also find writings like this in Ephesians 6 and Colossians and elsewhere that speak of human dignity and address what, what God's intent is. I want you to know that all of this eventually led to the abolition of slavery. And so even though there are not absolute parallels between masters and slaves, there are a lot of general principles when it comes to employees and employers that we can learn. And there are principles that we are to put into play. And I want you to start thinking about work very differently. Work becomes worship when our relationship with Christ guides how we fulfill our roles. So I want you to be thinking about your job, your work, whatever it might be. Maybe a student, uh, maybe you're a homemaker, you got some sort of job, career, business, whatever that might be. Ideally, what you would like to do is function in your vocational sweet spot. So let me tell you what I mean. So like you ever played tennis, and on your tennis racket, there is kind of right at the center, it's called the sweet spot, right? It is where when you hit that ball, you're going to get the maximum recoil. It's the sweet spot. Ideally, what you would like to do is that your vocation, where you're involving yourself in your work, is your sweet spot. It fits very well with your skills, desires, education. You get maximum recoil. But I want you to know that most of us, many of us, don't work in the ideal situations. There may be some aspects that, like, wow, I really, you know, like my job and and do well in this, and some of it is a real struggle. And you may find that, ideally, If you could function in your sweet spot and you can make a living, it drives your economic engine, why, that's ideal. But you may find that, yeah, I got work and it's difficult, but where I really find much joy in my sweet spot, I'm not actually even paid for those things. That's still meaningful work. But to the degree that you're able to find where your your work is in your sweet spot, you want to do that. And I also want you to begin to see, though, no matter what your stage or place of employment, whether you're a a boss or you're an employee, I want you to think of your work differently. Pastor Pastor Tom Nelson in Leawood, Kansas, he uh, 
writes of a woman in his church and an email that he received from her. This woman was a stay-at-home mom, um, but she began to grasp, grasp the significance of what Paul was saying about work and worship. And so this woman sent this email, and he recorded it with her permission, and she wrote this. A stay-at-home mom doesn't get a lot of accolades or affirmation. No paycheck, no glowing review from their boss. I have been working through these thoughts and feelings and several weeks ago decided I wasn't going to spend any more time feeling like a victim. I've had a new outlook on life over these past few weeks, and I feel so much better. I have never thought of being a mother as an act of worship. I can look at it in a whole new way now. I can see the contributions I make to my household as what I was uniquely created to do for this season of life. And friends, that's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to begin to see whatever your work is, to see it as an aspect in a way to worship God. So we manifest our relationship with Christ by, first of all, by the way we work. So let's take a look. Verse 5, he says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. So I want to just kind of start pointing out how does our relationship with Jesus show up in how we do our work? And that's what he's highlighting here. Because remember, we are, Ephesians 5.18, we are to be filled with the Spirit, right? Not drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That means that we are depending and delighting upon God. We're asking God to govern and guide our behavior. This is the ongoing practice of the Christian. It's not just like, God, fill me with your Spirit as I walk into this worship center. It's God, fill me with your Spirit as I walk into my job tomorrow morning. I want to put you on display. And I, verse like it says, verse 21 in chapter 5, we want to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We are overwhelmed. We are compelled by Christ. And so the first thing he says here as we look at verse 5, he says, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. The first thing that he points out here is that we are to be obedient. That means... We are to follow through with what our employer has asked us to do. How he or she wants it done, when they want it, quality, all of that. We take that all into account, and we're going to be obedient. In fact, the only time that we wouldn't be obedient to our employer is if they asked us to do something that was immoral or idolatrous or blasphemous. But if that's not the case, then we're going to obey. We're going to follow through. Now, you're like, I want you to know, You're free to pick and choose if you want to be employed there, okay? No one is like, well, I just, I have no choice. Actually, you do. So let me just tell you this up front. If you just, man, I just really don't want to do that, or you think like it's unethical, make sure, you know, like you could define, put a Bible verse why you think it's unethical. But if you don't want to be there, quit. But if you are there, and you walk with Jesus, he wants to be put on display. And one of the ways is that you're going to be obedient. If you have to move on, move on. But if you're there, then you are going to say, God, help me to do as you've said here. I need your strength, but to be, first of all, obedient. And you're like, oh my goodness, you don't even know my boss. If you knew my boss, you wouldn't even say those things. Well, first of all, 
This isn't about me. And this isn't me saying this. I'm just teaching what the word says. God is shaping us. And you're like, well, boy, but I've got a really terrible boss. And I want you to know, I've heard of some of your stories. And some of you, I want to affirm, you have a very terrible boss. It's a difficult condition. It is. It's not, it's not even funny because it's painful, right? This is respite. Tomorrow, it's, it's difficult. But think, you're not a slave, right? And Peter, when he addresses this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, said this, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only those who are good and gentle. Man, those are people like, man, it's easy to work for folks like that. But also those who are unreasonable. Yikes. You see, the character and the conduct of our boss does not actually change our fundamental responsibility. We are obedient. And notice this, though. Look at it in context. See that in your Bible? Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. This is just a reminder. Hey, this is just in this life. This is just in that situation. They're not your boss at home, and they don't own you. And this is all very temporary because life is eternal. They're just according to the flesh. So the first thing you see here is that why we show up with Jesus at at our jobs, we are going to be obedient. Second of all, look at verse 5. We're also to be respectful with fear and trembling. This isn't fright, but rather respect for authority. That we're respectful. We, We actually show them honor. And Respect is going to go a long ways. You show your boss respect, I want you to know that is probably going to change your relationship or make it even better. And it has a way of just changing the whole tenor of where you work when all of a sudden respect is being offered. That means, though, when we're respectful, we're not going to be complaining, whining, and shirking responsibilities. We honor and respect our employers. Whether or not that's deserved, that's another question. We've got a different orientation. And furthermore, not only are we respectful, but our relationship with Christ allows us to also be sincere. You see that? We're to be obedient. We're to do so with fear and trembling. We're to be respectful in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. That has the idea that we're serving without hypocrisy or duplicity. You know, hypocrisy is kind of like acting, putting on a little show, but in fact, really, we got a lot of contempt for our employer. It's not that. Rather, we're functioning from integrity. I want you to see that God wants a seamless integration of our faith in every aspect of life, not just your spiritual life, but your school life, your work life. It's a seamless integration. Jesus is the center of my life in every aspect. And hence, I'm going to do my job with sincerity because you see who we're serving? Look at this, verse 5. Sincerity of your heart as to Christ. So this whole idea that, well, I'll just kind of tell them what they want to hear. So they ask you, your boss asks you to do something. I want it done. I need you here. This is where I want you to go. Okay, this is the plan. And you're like, Yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, right? But then they walk away, and guess what? They're like, <laughs> what a loser. No way, I'm not doing that. And, and you just drop it. If it's real important, they'll get back to me three or four times, right? 
No. I know that may go on, but not for you as a follower of Jesus. We do our jobs with sincerity because we're actually serving Christ. You see that? We have an awareness of God's character and his presence. That's our motivation. We want to see God put on display. We want to see God working in us and through us. This is what it's going to look like. We're going to do our jobs with sincerity. No one else is doing that? That's totally fine. You have the great privilege of representing Jesus Christ, the living God, in your workplace. And furthermore, we're also to be faithful. Look at verse 6. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So here he's saying not just working when the master is watching, not just working when the boss is there. Men pleasers has the idea that you're, you're putting on a show for others. Your orientation is about God. It's about others. And so you put on a show for them. You are looking good. Howard Hendricks, the uh, late uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, great leadership professor, uh, in one of his books, he writes of an experience where he was on a, on a plane and they had kind of taxied out and then they had this significant delay. And you know how it is, right? Uh, when you are in a plane with, you know, like 400 of your new closest friends, I mean, literally close, right? And then you're sitting on the runway, Right? You know, in like Dallas, Texas, you know, like 112, you know, like that. And you're, and then I'm not sure I need to talk with some of our pilots afterwards, but why sometimes do they just cut off all the circulation, right? You know, there's no air moving around and you start sweating, right? And then someone starts coughing or sneezing right behind you. Like, you gotta be kidding. Babies are crying. People are getting hungry. And so apparently this is going on the plane and people were getting upset. And there was really no explanation why we're just sitting here baking in the sun, right? And so some of the passengers started taking it out on the flight attendants, right? I'm mad, I'm upset. There's someone, I'll, they, I'll start chewing on them for a little bit, right? And uh, Hendrick said he's, he's sitting there and he's kind of watching this. And, and one of the flight attendants, though, uh, she handled this with such grace and poise. I was like really impressed. I mean, here's these heated individuals in more ways than one, right? And she's just handling this with just an uncommon grace. So when they finally got in the air, People kind of calmed down, cooled off, sat in their little chairs, right? When that flight attendant came by, he, he just stopped her and he just said, hey, you know, back there when we were all kind of baking in the sun, we're sitting on the, on, the, on the tarmac there, I want you to know I saw how you handled some really difficult situations and people. I just want to commend you. That was amazing. I would like to write a letter of commendation to your company. And this flight attendant smiled and she said, well... I don't actually work for the airline. And I'm just like, what? She goes, I work for Jesus Christ. And before I came to work today, my husband and I prayed that I would represent him well. That is the heart of the Christian worker. You're not working for your employer. Yeah, you are in a sense, but you're really, as a Christian, why you've got a true master. You've got a Lord, the Lord in your life, and you're working for him. This whole idea of eye service, where you're kind of putting on a show, you see that? Not by way of eye service, as men pleasers. You know what this is like, don't you? You remember like elementary physical education class, specifically maybe junior high? 
You know how it is? You know, the gym teacher comes. They're always the cool guy or gal too, right? right? And like, hey, okay, I want you to like all do 30 jumping jacks, right? And then they kind of like walk off, right? And they, they might go and they're going to get a cup of coffee or whatever. And so everybody starts doing their jumping jacks, you know, like this, right? But as soon as the PE teacher's gone, guess what happens? And then and everybody's like, and they're kind of watching. Um, you might like, hey, can you watch the door? And you have the spy, right? You, hopefully none of you are the spy. And so you're standing by the door and you're looking to see when the gym teacher is coming back. And as soon as like, oh, he's coming or she's back, then everybody's like, you know, back to their, you know, pathetic jumping jacks or whatever they're doing. I want you to know that some people, well, they take that same mindset from junior high and they take it into the workplace. And so when the boss is there, guess what? Oh, we're working, you know, and we're typing away, right? Our phones, oh, no, no, doing my thing, right? But... Then the boss takes off, and guess what? We're done. Pushing back, where's my phone? Oh, you know, I think I'll call my friend, you know, and, like, and I'm like looking to see where I might order my dessert for tonight. You know, just like, and you're totally not doing work. It's a practice you learn from a long time ago. I want you to know that's not from the heart. I want you to know that's eye service. That's men-pleasing. That is a direct violation of what this text is calling from. You see, we are to do... And and you may have missed this. We're doing the will of God from the heart. Will of God. Is that important to you? Is anybody concerned about the will of God? A few of you. Okay, for those of you who are totally tracking like, yeah, I'm all about the will of God, I want you to know the will of God is what you do at work. Well, what? Are you kidding me? All that writing, those appointments, the examinations, the charts, uh, the filing, the phone calls, the customer service, the repairs, the cleaning, the cooking. What? That's the will of God? That is the will of God for you. God's will. And all of these, these tasks, why they matter to God. They're a part of his will. And you're like, well, how does that all work? Well, let me tell you why it's God's will. First of all, remember, we are to have dominion over this earth, right? And one of the ways that human beings have dominion over the earth is is their jobs. Second, I want you to know that God puts his character on display through his people at work in the crusty, difficult, challenging situations. I want you to know God is putting his character on display through his people. And the other thing that happens, this is why it's God's will for you to do these things, is that your character is being grown and developed and shaped. You are becoming like Christ. And so that's why verse 6 tells us we're to be faithful, faithful unto God. God is doing his work. It's the will of God, and we're doing it from the heart. Furthermore, we see in verses 7 and 8 that we are to be expectant. When we take our relationship with Christ to the workplace, we can be expectant. Look what he says, verse 7. With goodwill... Render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. That Just that one phrase right there, slave or free. You're a worker, it doesn't really matter your condition. And here he is, he's just showing this is how you go about it when you're employed, whether you're a slave 
or you're free. And you do it expectant. You do it with goodwill. You see that, verse 7, with goodwill. This has the idea with kindness and pleasantness, right? It could be like service with a smile. Not a fake smile, but there's, you're genuine. You're real, right? There is God's joy, his heart being manifested in yours. So you do your job recognizing that God is the one who's going to reward you. And you do it to the fullest. It's, it has the idea of the opposite of what we call today quiet quitting. You ever heard of quiet quitting? Anybody? Do you know what it is? Quiet quitting is where you do the absolute bare minimum to still get all of your compensation, your benefits, paycheck. I mean, some people are paid very handsomely for what they do. They make a lot of money. Quiet quitting is like, I'll do the bare minimum to slide by. And it, and it kind of has cut on. And I want you to know it drives employers and, and company and executives crazy. But I want you to know that if you're a Christian, you should be the opposite of quiet quitting. You are to be doing the will of God. You are to engage. You are to make the most of your opportunity. This is what God desires for our life, whether you're slave or free. And notice it is God who is going to reward you. This doesn't mean that you sell your soul to your company. That's a different discussion. The idea that, man, they just own me 70, 80 hours a week, whatever, man, I'm just going to, no. It does mean, though, that when you're at work, you are giving it your all. You're doing it with the right heart. You're fulfilling the obligations. And I'll tell you what, when you do that, God is on display. And I want you to know that God is going to compensate you. How do you know that? That's what the text says. We can work expectantly, verse 8, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. So I want you to know that God is the one who actually rewards you. He'll bless you. I'm like, well, okay, help me understand. How does he do that? Well, first of all, you likely are compensated when you work, right? Not all work, but if you got a job, pretty sure you're probably getting paid, right? You probably think you deserve more. You probably do, but you're compensated. Another blessing that comes, let me just give you, I just listed out a whole bunch of them. Uh, there are life-changing relationships that are blessings from God. You have perhaps greater influence. You build trust with your boss. Um, you may get a raise for your good work. Your reputation as a person of honor and integrity, well, I want you to know, that's a huge blessing. You might get surprising opportunities, and that certainly means uh, more Christ-like character for you. And the final thing I'll point out is that your greatest rewards are coming, the eternal rewards of being in Christ's presence and being rewarded for faithfulness, especially faithfulness in very difficult situations. And so how you do your job makes a huge difference. So I have met Christians who have just shined at the workplace. I remember specifically when I was uh, working on my master's degree, going to seminary, I worked two part-time jobs. One of them was at a warehouse, Boise Cascade, and met all sorts of interesting people there. One of those was a guy by the name of Greg. Greg was the nicest guy, hardest worker, truck driver, did a lot of work at the warehouse, and he was an outstanding Christian, and all the guys on the force knew it. On the other hand, you know, this guy, Greg, had a significant ministry. My first job coming out of college, uh, working, trying to, you know, just get it all figured out, put my business degree to good use. Really interesting, in my office, there was a guy who uh, identified as a Christian, but he was the absolute worst worker. And I do not know how he was able to do this, but 
the boss would go away, maybe to work out for several hours at lunchtime or do whatever he was doing. I don't know. This guy, he, ha- he would leave shortly after the boss left. Truck would pull out. Pretty soon, this guy would leave. I don't know how he did this, but about 10 minutes before the boss would ever come back, he showed up. Like he had a tracker or something like that. Oh, time to go. He'd show up with his, you know, 7-Eleven super tank or whatever. And he would just like sit there and be like he had been working the entire time. And so when I came, and I was a fairly new believer, and I wanted to, you know, share Christ with my, my fellow coworkers, they were not interested. You know why? Because of that guy. No way. I want to hear anything about Jesus, because I see what he does with a guy like that. Friends, how you do your work is of great significance. If you were unpredictable... You're not really getting the work done the way it's asked. You can't show up on time. You're really not faithful. You're an eye pleaser. You're not meeting the standards. You're often late, and you just blow things off, and if it's really important, they're going to bring it back up to you. Let's just call it what it is. You're missing the mark. On the other hand, you have such an opportunity to put God's character on display. Uh, there's a, a woman in our church that spoke to me of, a, of her doctor, who happens to be a part of fellowship. And she says, his care, his competence, his concern, and his prayers, how much they mean to him, to her. I want you to know how we do our work, it touches a lot of lives. And it brings God great glory when we do it according to his ways. Our relationship with Christ is manifested in the way we work. It's also manifested in the way that we lead. Look at verse 9. He says, And masters do the same thing to them, things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that, the tr- that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So I want you to think about it. If you are a boss, employer, business owner, guess what? You're addressed right here in verse 9. Take this, take a look at this. He says, masters do the same things to them. The exact same things that we've been talking about. Being obedient, obedient to your master, the living God, respectful, sincere, faithful, expectant of God's reward. You do the same things. And notice what else he says, that we are to do it in such a way that reflects that we understand that we are under authority as well. We have a master. You see, we treat our employees with respect. They're made in God's image. We treat them honorably. We care about their well-being. Why? Because we are also under authority. And think about it. So I know some of you, you've got significant influence. You are a chair, dean, you own a company, you're, you're the person in charge. I want you to know you only have that position because God gave it to you. And he's actually going to require something of you. You're like, seriously? Yeah. Luke 12, 48. You might want to jot it down. It says this, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. You got a lot of authority and responsibility? Yeah, I know you worked hard and you applied yourself and you probably got educated to do that. But God gave it to you. And he says, a lot's going to be required from you. Are you going to put into play what God has given us in his word because he is asking you to do that and give up threatening? That's a lot of, a lot of behavior. 
was modified, and that's how a lot of masters work, but he says, not for you who are Christians. You see, work becomes worship when our relationship with Christ guides how we fulfill our roles. So when you look at people like Joseph and Daniel and Boaz and Nehemiah and Esther, some of them had terrible working conditions, and yet they thrived. And God's character and his purposes and the kingdom advanced through their lives. And some had positions of great authority and were involved in the government. Some had pretty amazing positions, but I I want you to know they made the most of the opportunity. You see, if you are trusting in Christ, you're in the ministry. You just may not know it. You are in the ministry. That ministry is what you do during the work week. And friends, this tells us just why we need the gospel. I mean, we all fail completely. When we read this text and we're like, oh my, this is what God is requiring? Like, I can see a lot of ways that I've failed. Well, that tells us how much we need a Savior. You see, God has united us with Christ. We can be forgiven of our sins, sins of missing the mark even in the workplace. And we can experience the power of being united with Christ and put God on display. It's the wonders of the gospel. Tim Keller gave this advice on work, careers, and success. He said this, quote, When you make your work your identity, if you're successful, it destroys you because it goes to your head. And if you're, if you're not successful, it destroys you because it goes to your heart. It destroys your self-worth. Faith in Christ gives you an identity that's not in work or accomplishment, and that gives you insulation against the weather changes. If you're successful, you stay humble. If you're not successful, you have some ballast. Work is a great thing when it is a servant instead of a Lord. Does our work matter to God? What do you think? Absolutely. So think of your work, whether you're a student, homemaker, whatever your job is. Ask God to manifest these character qualities in your life. And I want to give you a couple verses for you to really think about, maybe even to write down. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. In June 18, 1910, Theodore Roosevelt, the former president, had come back from a wildlife game safari in Africa. And it was a huge deal. Because when he came back, there were literally thousands of well-wishers that came to that New York harbor and all sorts of journalists to take this all in. In fact, here's a picture of it. And there's Theodore Roosevelt. He's kind of waving, killed all these animals. You know, on this exact same ship uh, was a missionary couple that had been serving in Africa for over 40 years. And they were coming back, you know, very old, and very wiped out. And it was interesting, you know, Roosevelt and all these fans and well-wishers. Do you know how many people came to greet these missionaries who had served Christ, poured their lives out in Africa, sharing the gospel, making disciples? Do you know how many well-wishers or supporters came to welcome them home? 1910? Zero. And, uh, you know, while they were getting off the boat and they finally took a cab, and they were taking this cab to a hotel. You know, the, the missionary guy was like, oh, this is not right. How is it that the president goes over to Africa, kills a bunch of animals, and he comes back, and everybody's cheering and celebrating? 
And we spent over 40 years in a really tough place, and not a single soul even came to say hi or welcome home. Well, they kind of stewed on that for a while, and as was their practice before they went to sleep, when they were retiring, um, they prayed together. And as they started praying, both got this just really strong impression from the Lord. And it was simply this, and they recorded this. Do you know why you haven't received your reward yet, my dear children? Because you're not home yet. And friends, you know why you may not have gotten the fullness of your reward yet? It's because we're not home yet. But we're soon to be. And so know this. Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that the Lord is going to give you your inheritance. Let's pray. Because work becomes worship when our relationship with Christ guides how we fulfill our roles. Lord, thank you for the clarity of your word. And we're asking God that if someone who is here today has never truly trusted you, they would just pray with me now and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. I need your forgiveness and I need your life. Lead me and fill me. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, help us to walk in your ways, to know your goodness, to walk in your power and your strength, to live in your love. And would you, God, put your character on display and how we go about our work so that our work will be worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Grant. Wow, what a, what a strong word about work, occupation, labor. If you were here at the beginning, the first song that we sang was Death Was Arrested, and we talked about that lens of Easter still. Death was arrested so that our new life began, and we're free. We're free to do what? We're free to serve him. We're free to go to work, to work heartily, to represent him to others. So that's what this challenge is about today. I love the line, the quote that, you know, I don't work for XYZ. I don't work for this company. I work for Jesus Christ. And that's where we are all called to go and work. So if you're a student, you're working. You're, in fact, you have the best job you're ever going to have as a student. So enjoy it. But if you're a student, that is your workplace. Obviously, well, we it's easy to thank for you for joining us uh, here we in, hope. in this realm, what we just talked about. But if you're retired, if you're not working, because you're retired, maybe you still get to represent this. Maybe it's talking to your kids or grandkids or your neighbors or people around you. Maybe it's volunteering. We all get the opportunity to apply this in our daily lives, to honor God through our work, through our attitudes, through representing him. And that's what we are called to do. So as you go forward this week and wherever you are, wherever God has you, he does have you there. And so you're there for a purpose. So go and honor him. Have a blessed week and we'll see you next week. Well, we want to thank you for joining us uh, here. We hope that you were very encouraged um, with our time of worship together. And we would like to encourage you to take the next step. If you are not connected uh, at a church or with us here at Fellowship, we'd love to hear from you. If you go to your, our website, we have a guest connect form we would love for you to fill out. We want to follow up with you. We would love that opportunity to help you get connected as we do life together and head into the spring. Have a great week.